0: to see everyone uh, here this morning. Um, and uh, first, I just want to say praise the Lord uh, for this church because uh, you all have definitely been a blessing to my wife and I uh, for the ministry that the Lord is doing in Norristown. Uh, and so I want to thank you for just praying for us and for uh, supporting us and uh, just, just, just for being um, the body of Christ uh, to us. And we really do appreciate that. And I just want to give thanks once again to uh, uh, First Baptist Milton. Um, for you all, just, just for everything that you're doing. To Pastor Randy, thank, thank you so much just, just for uh, staying in contact uh, with, with me. Um, and also to Jim and Sheila for letting us stay in your house. This is wonderful. You know, I feel like we have uh, a, a family. We belong to a big family and stuff. You know, you are all brothers and sisters to us. So we really uh, are, are just uh, wonderful um, uh, that you all have taken us in. I feel like we are brothers and sisters truly. Brothers and sisters from another mister, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ and the Father, right? (laughs) So, um, and also, I just wanna say thank you to uh, Pastor uh, Jonathan Russell for allowing me to uh, share this pulpit. Uh, I'm truly humbled, um, as Randy was just showing us uh, the wonderful heritage of this church, you know, and the the fact that I'm uh, up here is very humbling, uh, to say the least. Uh, so, if you're uh, able to stand, I'd like to ask that you stand for uh, the reading of God's word, uh, his in- inerrant word of the Lord. Uh, we're in Romans 5, looking at verses uh, 1 to 11, Romans 5, verses 1 to 11, and when you have it, or if you're able to see it on the screen, just uh, let me know by saying, I have it, or just say, uh, amen, or however you want to let me know, all right, <laughs> all right. Okay, so uh, hear the inerrant word of the Lord. Says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse six, it says, while we were, "For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us even for lo- He shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by uh, His blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And you may uh, take a seat. And what we have heard today is the uh, infallible, unvarnished word of the Lord uh, on Paul's teaching of justification. This isn't a fable. This isn't a myth. This is God's direct word to us, to the people of God. Um, and so let us hear it and receive it as, it, as if we were at the mountain uh, when Moses was receiving the word of the Lord, because this is God's word for us today. All right, so uh, I'd like to uh, just uh, open up with a word of prayer. Father, Father, we thank you so much because you are enthroned in heaven uh, and you sit above the flood. The nations rage, but you have installed your anointed one. And we thank you so much for that. With so much happening in our world today, I'm praying for uh, countries like Turkey and Syria uh, who are going through much turmoil. We're praying for the churches uh, in those areas that they will be able to help those who are in need. We're also praying for uh, those down in Brazil, uh, especially the children down there uh, who are definitely suffering. We're asking that the churches will uh, stand up and help them in their time of need. I pray for our nation as well, uh, a nation that uh, was once um, uh, believed to be um, established by you, but now so many have turned their back on you. And we're asking that you please just once again raise up the churches so that we can uh, uh, magnify your name uh, in how we live and how we represent you and that you've helped us to represent you well. But most importantly for us here today, I pray that you grant us the ears to hear your word, that you give us eyes to see Jesus. And I pray that you give us a tent of ears and hearts. And it's by the Spirit, through the Son, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, when you think about conflict, what word comes to your mind? When you think about conflict, what word comes to your mind? See, when I think about conflict, the word that comes to my mind is this word beef. All right, beef. Uh, And so I I think about this word, and I think about where does this word come from? Where does this idiom come from? I have beef with you. And so I I, I was trying to figure out, okay, where does this come from? So I looked up the phrase and I looked up this idiom and I found three uh, possible sources for us and I just wanna read them and share uh, them with you all today. So the first one is from answers.com and it says the phrase uh, I have beef with you originated in the old west among sheep farmers who were competing for grazing land with cattle uh, farmers. All right, Uh, the sheep farmers used the term with each other to refer to a conflict, uh, which was what they had with the cattle farmers, or uh, beef farmers. So that's one definition right there from answers.com. Another one is from 10-pound hammer blog. I never heard of them. I just found this, right? So, <laughs> so it says, having to do with the uh, ownership of cows and cow feuds, which resulted as owners argued over the best interests of the cow, and typically the cow got slaughtered and led to the owners having beef with one another. All right, so that's where we get it from. That's what they say. Uh, from word detective... Uh, it says this first, the, the phrase or this term first appeared in the U.S. during the 1800s. So we're talking about the like the late 1800s. And during our tour, Randy showed us that the church was established in the late 1800s. So this phrase probably started around the time this church was, be- <laughs> when, it, when it first got started, right? So it says that beef describes a situation or a complaint that might well escalate to a beefy, uh, muscular kind of situation, right? So one thing that I noticed in these three uh, definitions is that Beef deals with conflict or disputes or fights or whatever, you know. And if any of you have been watching um, the State of the Union on Monday, it seemed like it was a very beefy situation. Am I right? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> as we get in our text today, uh, i like for us to walk through and mind through this text because it is here that we see that God says something on the matter. See, uh, you all, we had a situation with God. God had beef with us, all right? He had beef with us. And according to the Bible, the Bible says that God had a beef with humanity. So he says uh, right here, for example, in Psalm uh, chapter 5, verses 4 to 5, that God is the one who doesn't like and he doesn't delight in wickedness. He doesn't delight in wickedness. He hates all evildoers. God has a beef with evildoers. All right. Also, uh, according to Psalm 7, verse 9, he tests the hearts and minds. It says later, who is the righteous judge? God is the righteous judge who feels indignation every day. God has beef towards the evildoer every single day, right? Uh, and he has uh, beef against those who were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, uh, those uh, who, who, uh, who don't care for him. He has beef against those people every single day, you know. And he, so he has beef with all of humanity. But now this same God who uh, had beef he has made it a way where he could cancel that beef uh, with us and by declaring something different about our standing with him. And so the title of the message is justification and reconciliation. The beef is squashed through Christ. The beef is squashed through Christ. Don't you know brothers and sisters that at one time we all had beef with God. He had beef with us. At one time you had beef with God. He had beef with you. You know, and in our text today, brothers and sisters, Paul explains and explores uh, what God did about the beef. See, God did something about this, y'all, and praise God that he did. You know, there are two dominant truths from this text that I want to point out to and I want us to uh, focus on. First, God justifies sinners. Praise God for that. God justifies sinners, you know, and we know, and, and, and because of that, we now have peace with him because of the blood of his son. But also even though we are justified and have peace with God, uh, God, uh, and we also have access to God, we are still called to suffer. Don't forget that, y'all. We're called to suffer. So, I want us to walk away today knowing that justification and peace with God is only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. Only through Christ Jesus. Paul shows us that justification and peace with God only comes through Christ. That's all, That's all. That's all because of him. See, Brothers and sisters, it's only through Christ alone, by faith alone in him, that we are made right with him. And that the beef is squashed. That we are now, that, that, that the father deals with us. He has anything to do with us because of Jesus. You know, so I'd like to bring you uh, to my first point. My first point is this. Uh, God squashes the beef because he has justified us by faith. We are justified by faith. And that's part of why the beef is squashed, y'all. So we see right here in verse one, it says that Paul begins by saying, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you have been around any Bible study, any Bible expositor for a long period of time, you will hear them say this joke. What is the therefore, therefore? Correct. You know, and so we have here where Paul is writing a letter. Paul is writing a real letter to real people. These people he hasn't even met yet, but he's excited to see them. You know? And through this letter, uh, you have it where, um, let's, th- let's think about the letters that we write. Normally, we don't have chapter verses and all, all those breaks. We don't have that. We just write a letter and give it to people. You know? And that's exactly what's going on here. Paul and Tertius write this letter from Corinth to a people who they don't e- haven't even met yet. You know? And they're looking forward to seeing them. And see, if you're following the letter, if you know the letter well, in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith faith to faith. In uh, chapter 3, verse 23 to 25, he said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God uh, and are justified by his grace as a gift uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom he put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. See, this is what's going on here. Already he's setting the stage to show that we are justified by faith. Right? While Paul says this uh, th- th- this, was to show God's, um, this was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He also says that God did this to show his righteousness at the present time. Present time meaning for them and for us now. You know, that God has passed over our former sins. You know, and that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. That's exactly what he says in uh, Romans 3 verse 26. You know, Paul says even more about being justified by faith in God uh, when he says, "For we hold that one is just justified by faith apart from works of the law." And that's right in uh, chapter three, verse twenty-eight. See the question here, brothers and sisters, is simply this: What is significant about faith in Christ, and how does it connect to justification? What is the significance? See, Paul answers this question again, right, in chapter 4, verses 22 to 25. We're trying to figure out what is it there for, there for, and this is why it's there. See, uh, he says when he speaks about Abraham's faith, uh, and he connects it to uh, his righteousness, it says that faith was accounted to uh, him for uh, righteousness. Paul goes on further to answer it by saying that uh, it was written not just for Abraham's sake, but for our sake, you all, for our sake, not just for his, but for us in this room today. was written for us it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead now I don't want you to miss this Jesus was delivered up meaning that Jesus was handed over to be killed handed over but not for sins that he committed he was handed over for sins that we have committed all right he was handed over for us he was delivered up for our continual our habitual our deliberate missteps of keeping God's law keeping God's command But we also see that Jesus wasn't just killed, but he also rose again from the grave. That's exactly what he says here. He He was raised up for our justification. He was raised up for our justification, which is to say that when you and I put our faith and put our trust and put our belief in him, God the Father declares you and I righteous. That's what he does, he declares you and I righteous. The guilt of our sin is removed. Uh, We are now justified, and we're justified saints now because of what Christ has done on our behalf. See, this is what the therefore is there for. That's what it's there for. You know, he laid down his life so that we could be justified. And see, he even says it. We have been justified by faith, which brings me to my second point. The phrase, since we have been justified by faith, this is a very interesting phrase. See, because in the Greek, this is only one word. This is only one word in Greek, uh, dikaios. Uh, and it is derived from the word uh, DK, which means punishment, penalty, or justice. Now, this is very interesting here because there's another form of this word which means uh, righteous or just. And we see this come up a few times in this letter. But for example, in uh, chapter um, um, 3, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So we see this word uh, used a few times uh, over and over again. And this word uh, specifically means, this phrase means, to be set free uh, or become judicially uh, vindicated as having completed or compiled or uh, taken or or, or being able to uh, meet the righteous requirements of God's law, you know. But this is very interesting, y'all, because check this out. This is not based on anything that we did This is not based on what my mother did for me. This is not based on what my father did for me or my aunts and uncles or my cousins and uh, friends or whatever. This is not based on that. This is based on what Christ Jesus has done for us, right? See, and we could definitely praise God for that because God has done a work apart from my works. That's what he's done, you know. Because apart from Christ, my works were leading me to hell. All right, and apart from uh, Christ, your works were leading you to hell. You know, um, and see, this is the Protestant rally cry right here. We can, we can, we we uh, we can uh, come together and make some noise about this, y'all. You know, because Christ has uh, made us right with the Father. Through his work and through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, you know, and we can rally around that because it's by Christ and in Christ alone that he has done so for us. Uh, And not only with that, we have peace with God because of that. You know, I heard uh, that you all were going through um, a series on worship recently, you know, and if you're looking through Revelation chapter 4 and 5, especially chapter 5, you see a worship gathering. A celestial worship gathering, if you will, you know, where uh, the, uh, John is sitting there crying, wondering who is going to who is going to be able to read the scroll. And then you see the lamb of God come up and take the scroll because he is the worthy one who has done so. You know, and this is why we worship him, because he is the worthy one. When we sing our songs, right, he is the worthy one. And we make much of him because he has made uh, us uh, acceptable to God by his deliverance, by delivering us. See, this is why we uh, do so, because he has ransomed us by his blood, you know. And so, which brings me to my third point, brothers and sisters, that since the beef is squashed, we have truly peace with God, y'all. We have peace with him. You know, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. He's saying to, to, to us today that you and I have peace with God, not because of our works, but because of the work of Christ in our lives. See, this is our new state. This is a new condition that we have. We, 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 we once were one thing, now we're a new thing because of Jesus, you know. And uh, this peace, uh, Paul says, since we are justified, we have peace with God. And this peace comes from this word, this, this uh, phrase, this idiom uh, from, the Greek, from the Hebrew, shalom. Now, this is very interesting, y'all, because what Jesus does here for us is that, like, he puts us into a, a, a harmonious state of wholeness And freedom. And he gives us tranquility. Uh, we have been freed from disputes and disputing with God. That's what he does for us. You know? um, and this kind of freedom, brothers and sisters, does not begin with us. It doesn't begin in us. It begins again uh, in God. right? That's who it begins in. God is the one who extends it to us and he gives it to us. Matter of fact, he has peace within himself and he shares it with us. You know? See, I like what R.C. Sproul says here about the peace of God. All right? He says, the peace of God... Is not referring to his subjective feeling, but to uh, the objective fact that the justified are no longer enemies of God, but are at peace with him. You know, in other words, God doesn't have beef with us anymore. He doesn't have any beef with us anymore because of what Jesus has done. See, you and I, brothers and sisters, if we are justified, then we are no longer in torment of feeling like, well, am I saved? Do I question my relationship with the Lord? Because he has done so to make us right with him. You know, uh, if we understand our right standing before God, we won't question whether or not uh, I have assurance because we are in right standing with God. He is the one that has assured us that we are with him and he keeps us. Just like in John 10, he says no one can pluck us out of his hand. Right. Amen. We are eternally secure because of that. See, Sproul continues to say sinners, though we are because we still have some sin in us. Uh, we have uh, we are at peace with God because of what God has done for us, because of what he has done for us. And that's an amen moment right there, right? Because that is good news. That's the gospel right there, you know? Because in our world today, full of bad news, I mean, you could just turn on the TV, you see bad news all over the place. Bad news here, bad news there. Bad news Browns, all that. Bad news, right? You know? Uh, I'm from a place in Philly. There's nothing but bad news in Philly, right? (laughs) You know? Uh, I mean, before the Eagles started doing good, I mean, the Eagles were terrible, You know? (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, so many people talk about having an inner peace, right? They want inner peace. If I, if I was in the right relationship, if I had the right car, or this right woman, right man, right whatever, I could have some inner peace. If I had the right amount of cheese in my uh, uh, account, right, right amount of money in my account, you know, I have peace, right? You know? But the thing about it is, is that, like, we can't have peace. You hear people say, like, well, if I only had a brain, I could have peace with God, right? You know? But the truth of the matter is, is that, like, God has done something about that. See, even in our society, so many try to feel like, um, you know, if I vote for the right person, I'll have peace. And that gets tested every four years, right? Every four or two years. (laughs) And usually what happens is that, like, if the person that I voted for didn't win, now I'm very upset until the next four-year cycle and stuff, you know. Um, And some people base their peace off of that. But what's amazing here is that, like, in our fallenness, even before Christ We can definitely uh, agree with Augustine when he says that our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless. Uh, But it's only when we're in Christ uh, that we can say this, that our hearts are restless until we find rest, until we find peace in God. And God has done so so we can have peace with him. We haven't done this. God has done this on our behalf. See, and even as Christians, you may feel the tug of the world. I feel the tug of the world. I know you feel the tug of the world. Even this upcoming week, you may have so many things on your mind, right, of what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But trust and believe that we have peace with God and he can help us in our times of tug of war that we feel, right, you know. See, and I just want to encourage you that because you are justified and declared right with God, because of Christ, you are no longer estranged from your creator. That's the peace that we have. We're no longer estranged from him. Uh, we're no longer, we no longer have war. We no longer have beef with him. We are one with him because of what God has done for us. You know. And so, and notice this too. The beef is squashed because in verse 2 it says, uh, uh, in verse 1, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, right? Notice the preposition. It's through Jesus. Not through anything that I have done, but through Jesus. Amen. Uh, which is to say that Jesus is the object of our faith. He is the instrument through which we are made right with God because he has accomplished something that we couldn't accomplish for ourselves, right? You know, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. See, It is through Christ that we have a continued, our relationship continues, it continues, it goes on and on. And we have fellowship with God the Father by the Spirit. And it's also Jesus, the peace of Jesus that we have. So in John 14, he says, it's the peace I give you, not as the world, but the peace that I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, this is something that we need to hear every day, y'all, because there's so many things going on in our world right now. I mean, balloons flying, right? Like, don't let your heart be troubled, don't let it be afraid, right? You know? See, we not only have peace with God, y'all, right, but we are justified, like we've been trying to say here. Paul adds that we have access now, which brings me to my fourth point. We have access uh, to God. And the beef is squashed because, we, no longer, because we, we not only receive justification uh, by faith and we have peace with God, but now we have access by faith through Christ as well. Don't you know we have access to God, y'all? We could come to God whenever we want to. You know, we could come and pray to him whenever we want. See, Paul says that we have obtained access by faith, okay? Uh, Meaning that when we have concrete, we have concrete possession of whom it is that we're trying to approach. We could come to him at any time we need, you know? And this is not because of us, again. I know I keep stressing this. It's not because of our works. It's because of the works of the one who has done something for us. We could come to him uh, in our times of need and based on his finished work. The word for access, this is very interesting. It's only used three times in the New Testament. Only used three times in the New Testament. You know, and it always deals with our bold access, uh, coming into the presence of God, being admitted into the presence of God by the Lord Jesus. You know, always. You know, and see, think about this, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, for example. See, Isaiah is the the most holiest man, the righteous man in his neighborhood, in his area. But when he sees the Lord, he is like, woe is me for I am undone because he saw the Lord. Right. But Jesus makes it so that we can be in the presence of God. Think about this. Back in the Old Testament, you have it where the high priest would come into the tent and they had a little bell uh, connected to his legs. Just in case if he was not right, uh, you would know to pull him out. But thanks be to God that he is our sure and steady anchor, that when he goes in uh, behind the veil, he doesn't uh, fall out. He is the one who uh, takes our prayers and intercedes on our behalf. And we could go in and have access because of Jesus. You know, I mean, think about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says, through him, that is through Christ, we both, both Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. Notice the Trinitarian language here. The nature of our salvation is through him, through Christ, that we have access by the spirit to the Father, right? You know, and this is because he has made himself one new man. So all of us in here, we're made one come from different backgrounds, different family members, all that. We, we are now one new man, one new temple, all made uh, to be the, 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 the body of Christ, the temple, the new temple of God, you know, and therefore the beef is squashed, right? Like we don't have any more beef with him, you know? I mean, think about this. The first two sins in the Bible, Genesis 3, uh, man sinned against God. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. You know, but God deals with both of those in the, in the cross of Christ. He deals with our sin and our dis, uh, disconnect between us and God. But he also deals with our sin against each other. He deals with us and us. Now we're able to have peace with one another too, you know. And praise God for that. You know, um, and so God not only uh, looks at us in this kind of way, but he also helps us. And he also gives us the grace to do this. As he says, he gives us the grace to stand uh, in this. And this is very interesting here because, again, this is not based on something that I can just drum up and just hope and wish that, I, that, that like God, God will do for me. But this is based on a free gift that he graciously gives to us. Amen. That's what he does. You know? And, again, that's good news. That's the gospel. You know. God will never change our justification. He will never change his mind. He will never say, well, today you're justified and tomorrow, good luck, buddy. He won't say that, right? Amen. He will say that you are justified. You are just as justified today and you will be just as justified in eternity. Amen. So, um, and for you, if any one of you are in here wondering, like, man, like, 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 wondering, doubting about your salvation, know that, like, you are declared right. You are declared righteous. He's made you right with uh, his Father. See, that's why Paul quotes uh, David in chapter 4 when he says, uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Uh, Blessed is the man or woman um, against whom the Lord will not count our sins. Blessed is that person, you know. Uh, And therefore, this brings me to my fifth point, that we rejoice because the beef is squashed. We can rejoice now because the beef is squashed. That's exactly what he says there. Not only that, but we rejoice. uh, Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We said in the verses 3 down to 5, Paul gives two reasons why we can rejoice. So, for example, in chapter, two, uh, ch- uh, chapter 5, verse 2, in the last part of it, uh, it says this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's an amazing thing. But also, in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Do you see that? Like rejoicing in hope of glory, but also rejoicing in suffering, too. You know, um, this, this is amazing because this word... Rejoice can actually be translated as boast. And see, the first time we see this uh, in the letter is right in chapter 2, verse 4, when when, uh, Paul says that if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, uh, but not before God. And what Paul is plainly saying here is this. Abraham would only be able to rejoice in something good that he did, you know, and boast about those kind of things. But he can't do that. See, because his works are filthy rags, you and I we can't do that. Because our works are filthy rags, we can't boast in that. We can only boast in what Christ has done for us. All right. So connected with that, Paul through the Holy Spirit is saying that we boast in hope. We boast in hope, uh, and we are, uh, we boast in our sufferings too. Now, this is this is very amazing, and 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 I think this is something that I really want to uh, spend time on unpacking for us a bit, like boasting in our sufferings, like rejoicing in suffering. What does that look like? Like, I can hear people saying that now, like, wait a minute, you're talking about rejoicing in hardship, pause. (laughs) Like, what do you mean, right? You know, I know that sounds strange. And the question is, why does that sound strange to us? You know, it sounds strange to us, and I won't even say us. It sounds strange to me because You know, when I'm going through suffering, when I'm going through hardship, my mind isn't thinking about glorying in that at all. You know, my mind is thinking about, well, what did I do to get myself in this situation? Or, you know, why is this going on or why is that happening? Like, what's going on? Woe is me, this and that, you know. Um, But the truth of the matter is this, is that um, God has a reason for our sufferings, y'all. You know, he has a reason for that. Um, and sometimes you have people, you may even feel this way yourself, like Job's friends. You will have people come to you, well, you must have did something for God to do this, right? You know, or you must have been going through, you must have <laughs> crossed the wrong street or whatever, you know what I'm saying, uh, for, 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 for this to happen to you. you know? But see, people generally think that troubles and evils uh, are a bad thing. You know? And what I mean by troubles, I mean suffering in this kind of way. And sometimes we, even in our Christian circles, we uh, try to stoically walk through, like, I'm not going to be going through this. I'm going to grin and bear it. I'm just going to take it, right? You know? But the truth of the matter is is that, like, God has a reason for us to suffer. Um, And see, Jesus is saying through Paul, and he wants us to think differently about our suffering. He wants us to think differently about our suffering here. See, he wants us to think. He wants us not to think that uh, these evils and these sorrows are something that I did, or or, or 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 this is something based off of what I'm going, what I put myself in, and to just begrudgingly uh, try to endure it. That's not what he wants from us. But he says he wants us to glory in it. That's exactly what the verse says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You know, uh, and the glory knows. And when we don't understand the various trials that we're going through, we have uh, an advocate. As James says, we can come to the Lord and ask him for wisdom, and he will give us wisdom in what we're going through in our trials. He will do that because he is a good father. He will give us the wisdom that we need in the time that we need it. So, you know, um, and he wants us to hold on to that. And this, this, this word for suffering is very interesting here because it's, it's a strong term. It carries with it the strong, most uh, inconvenient things uh, in, in life, you know. Um, and this word really captures for us the idea of, of some type of oppressive state that people are going through, something that you could be going through, mental, social, uh, economic, whatever and stuff, you know. That's what this is dealing with here. I mean, we're living in a time of inflation and all that, right, you know. Like there's a reason, there's a bunch of reasons for us to feel this type of way. You know, but God wants us to know that we can glory in the things that we're going through. We can glory in those, you know. And so this definition may be somewhere where you may be today. I don't know, you know. It's definitely somewhere where where I have been and probably will be after I leave here, you know. Um, But the truth of the matter is he wants us to know that we can grow uh, in him. So Paul goes on to say knowing this, right, knowing this, that suffering produces something, you know. See, the reason why we suffer is to produce certain things. And notice, produce comes up three times here. Produce endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, right? You know, that's why we are suffering, to build character in us, to build the still of the soul, so we, we, we can persevere through what we're going through and come out to be more Christ-like than we were before. You know, That's exactly what he's calling us to. Think about this. The Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness uh, through his whole ministry, was tempted, was tempted, was tempted. But we, uh, and yet without sin, and he helps us, and he sympathizes with our weaknesses as well, too. We have a great high priest uh, uh, who does that for us. You know, um, and again, the purpose for him, uh, for our sufferings, is to help us cultivate, cultivate um, likeness, especially in our hardships, and this is exactly what Paul's getting to here. See, for example, I was in, I, I, I did undergrad and grad school at, at a school up in Philly called Cairn University. It was Philadelphia Biblical University uh, for, for some time. Um, and I worked through school. You know, I was a, a custodian uh, at the school, I worked all, all shifts. At one point, I used to work night shift. You know, I'm talking about from like uh, from 10 to 6 in the morning. And I was a student, too. You know, and I was asking the Lord, like, Lord, please help me because a brother is struggling. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, (laughs) and I took a few semesters off, too. But it was something about the Lord's work uh, in my heart and my life where uh, I couldn't walk away from it. And see, this is true for all of us here. You know, we're like the Lord will do something in our lives to uh, uh, allow hardship and and allow struggle in our lives so that we can rely on him and grow and be more and more like the Lord Jesus. You know, and see, that, that that that's what he's all about, about producing character in us. When I think about this, I think about Timothy in, uh, Tim, in, in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 22, right, where Timothy, as uh, Paul says, that Timothy demonstrated proven worth. He was tested. And when he came out, he was shown to be tried and true, you know. And this, this is why God is testing us, so that we can have the dross removed from us, so that we can be shown to be tried and true in our situations, y'all. You know, um, and so... Not only that, but we rejoice in all these things. Now, you may be thinking, right, like, like, like you, you, you may have some brothers and sisters in your life. You may have some Christians in your life. And you may be like, man, why, why do I know? Every time they're going through something, they seem to not be fazed by it. They seem to, to, uh, to, to rejoice in their miseries, rejoice in their sufferings, rejoice in the tribulations and hardships. It seems only that when they go through those things, their, their faith is even strengthened all the more. See, this is because uh, they have confidence for the future. They have confidence in Christ. See, I know people like that, and I want to be a person like that. And I'm asking that, like, as you're praying for my wife and I uh, in Norristown, as we're planting, that you please pray that we be people like this, you know, that whatever hardship that we're facing, that, like, Christ can be produced in us, uh, the things that we need. And we're praying the same for you, you know. But also, why is it here for us? See, it says uh, in verse 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You see that? The reason why we're going through things is so that it produces a hope, but not a hope like, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish, like I wish, I wish the, the Eagles would win today, or I wish, I wish, I wish that uh, uh, school would be closed or whatever, or oh, I wish, I wish I would do well on this test. No, this is a real thing. This is a genuine hope that we have as believers. This is what we have, you know, and, and this is what's being produced in us. And when we have this hope, we're not put, put, uh, put to shame. So, for example, in Psalm 22, verse 5, it says, To you they cried and were rescued. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they, and, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. You know? Or in Psalm 25, verse 3, it says, uh, "Indeed, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. None. None of us. If we're waiting on the Lord, we won't be put to shame. They should be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous, meaning those who are evil will be put to shame. But those who trust and hold to the Lord, we will not be put to shame, you know. Uh, and so I don't know who he needs to hear that today. I don't know who he needs to hear that. But I know I need to hear that, definitely, you know. Um, and I know I'm probably going to need it next week. Because so I, so I, I, like my my real job right, right? I'm I'm a, I'm a chaplain at, at a school in Philly you know and I have I have children students um, students that are very close to me they became like family members to me and stuff you know and so uh, whenever I'm in school we have a bunch of hardships sometimes um, and so uh, when I'm saying that like I trust in the Lord and I'm holding on to Him for whatever I need for these for these kids and for whatever is going on this is what I'm talking about here that like I need you uh, for this um, and. I want to point out this uh, here, too, that since the beef is squashed, God continually works in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Right? He works in our lives through the Holy Spirit you know, to, to produce these things in us, to produce, to produce the character, to produce the endurance, to produce the hope. See, the same Holy Spirit right? that Jesus said to the 11 uh, in the Upper Room Discourse in chapter uh, 16 of John, the same Holy Spirit who, who he said will glorify him uh, and will uh, make, make, make much of him. Um, is the same one who also is the one uh, who helps us in our time of need as well see the Holy Spirit is the one who is poured out into our hearts as it says here he's poured out into our hearts the love of God is poured out shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit you know Uh, the Spirit is the one who pours himself into the believer and unites us to Christ but not just to Christ but unites us to one another we're united because of because of the Holy Spirit's work in us You know, you're my real brother. You're my real sister, right? You know, we belong to one another because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Also, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling ministry of the Spirit, uh, helps us to partake in the benefits of Christ. And uh, Paul talks about some of these benefits of Christ, the uh, the peace that we have, right, the access that we have, the boldness that we have, the boasting that we have, the joy that we have. I mean, think about this. These are byproducts of the fruit of the Spirit, right? You think about that. Like, we have this in us, and we can share this with each other as well, you know? And also think about this, too, the prophetic uh, um, um, the prophetic fulfillment of the outpouring of the Spirit in Ezekiel. And like, like, this is exactly what the Lord says, Hear this in Ezekiel 36, verse 27 to 26 to 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, this is what we're talking about here. This is the same Holy Spirit who has been poured out into us. The, The love of God has been poured out into us. And this has been promised that he would give it to us. And see, Jesus even says this later on. In John chapter seven, where he says uh, that if anyone thirsts after me, let him come to me, and I will give him something to drink. I will give him drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now John tells us what this is. He says this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit's li- work in our lives, and it pours out of us. You know, um, and 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 that's what's going on. See and. This is what I want us to walk away with, knowing that, like, it's the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, he helps us to do so. And lastly, what I want us to touch on is this, is that, like, not only does uh, the, um, the beef help out with all that and the beef is squashed because of all of that, but it's also squashed through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, all right? So, for example, in verses uh, 6 to 11, God did this, notice this, in verse 6, while we were weak, right, this is amazing, while we were weak, God did this. You know? Now, not physical weakness, but we're talking about moral weakness. We're talking about uh, moral frailty or moral insufficiency or not being strengthened morally, right? He did this while we were not, (laughs) we didn't have good morals. That's when he did this, you know? And while we were dead in our sins, as Ephesians 2, um, while we were following the course of this world, following the trespasses of the, the, the sons of disobedience, while we were walking in the unhappy state of our natural state, he did this while we were like that, all right? Also, I mean, he did this at the right time in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, Christ came into the world to do this for us. Not only that, you all, not only that, but Paul also says in verse 8 that while we were still sinners, so not just being morally weak, but while we were still sinners, breaking the law of God, actually loving to break the law of God, too. He made propitiation. That means he himself took on the wrath of God in our place. That's what he did. Um, And not just taking the wrath of God in our place, but also making it so that he could withstand the holy wrath of God, too, in our place. So that when we see him face to face, y'all, we can be able to stand with him and know that we are forgiven and be right with uh, God. You know, and a sinner, right, we think about this. It's a transgressor of God's law, of God's law. And Christ, at the right time, died for that person. But the most profound thing that I I think about this is right here in verse 10. I mean, this is amazing. Not only did he do this while we were weak, not only did he do this while we were still sinners, but he did this while we were enemies of him. Enemies. Didn't have a care for God. Actually hated God. And really the way the Bible puts it is not that we had really hatred, like had beef towards him. It's like because of our first parents and then on top of that, our continual habitual sinning, he has beef towards us and therefore he has to do something about that and he does something about that. You know. Um, So, he does so through the cross and when Paul speaks about us being enemies, we need to look at it rightly and the right way to look at it is that like he had a problem with us but he fixed it think about this sometimes we have problems with people we don't we don't go our way to fix it sometimes that's what this is exactly what paul says uh, right here he says for one would scarcely die for a righteous person right but god did this while we were enemies with him while we were sinners so and in verse nine we see here it says since therefore we have now been justified again by his blood much more shall we be saved from the wrath of god We're saved from the wrath, you all. We're saved from his wrath. Think about it. There's a day coming where it's going to be pandemonium. It's going to be a different world because he's going to enter into our time and space and change everything. And when he does, the only thing that's going to stand, as it says in in, in Psalm 1, is the righteous. That's the only thing that's going to stand. So that's what's happening here. And it's because of what uh, God has done, brothers and sisters, we are reconciled to him. We are made right with him. We are his family now. And we're family with one another. And as it ends right here in verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, again, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are reconciled to him. We are made right with him. And the simple question is this, you know, as we end, uh, like, has God done that for you? Has God uh, canceled your debt? I don't want you to walk out of here uh, with a debt still over your head. Because as John 3 says, that the wrath of God still is over a person if they don't believe. They're condemned already, you know. So as we wrap up, I know we, uh, we have a next step uh, booth out there, you know. Um, and if that's your next step, please make that your next step to, to reach out, cry out to God. Like, I need the Lord Amen. to save me. Because this world is changing by the second, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of eternity. People say I'm going to be on the wrong side of history. No, you don't want to be the wrong side on eternity at that day, you know. So, uh, Father, we just thank you so much just for uh, your word, um, and I just ask that your word landed somewhere, even through the words of this stammering uh, pastor, stammering preacher. Um, and I just ask that you just truly help us to um, realize that like those of us who are in you, that we can definitely cling to you and hold on to you um, if we are suffering through certain things and knowing that our suffering produces um, Christ-likeness in us. And it's by the Spirit of the Son I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.